morning, everybody. My name is Lacey, and I'd like to welcome you to First Baptist Belton. Before we get the service started today, there are a few things I want to share with you. Tonight, many of you will be gathering around town to watch the Super Bowl. So in light of that, there will be no evening activities here at the church. Take the night to enjoy some time with your friends and family wherever you're going to watch the game. Second, our summer mission trips for 2024 are all set. We will be sending out seven teams and they will be headed to Moldova, Puerto Rico, Taiwan, and Kenya. To get more information about serving on one of those trips, head by Mission Central today after the service. Lastly, I want to encourage you to continue to be faithful in giving your tithes and offerings through the All In One Fund. There are multiple ways to give. You can use the link on the Connect card in the pew. You can text to give by texting SBC Belton to 73256. You can give through the Realm website or app, and there are envelopes in the pew and black offering boxes you can use at all the exits. If you haven't had a chance to make a commitment to the All in One Heart One Fund, it's not too late. Go by Connection Central after the service and ask one of our volunteers how you can join in on the adventure with us. As we begin our time of worship, we have the joy of celebrating many who are coming to be baptized. Let's get started. Hello, my name is Bryson. I'm eight years old and I'm in second grade. I got saved last year when I was doing Awanas with my mom and then we started praying. I wanted to be baptized because it's the next step with my walk with Jesus. Hi, church family. My name is Nate Sizemore. I grew up in the church, but I always try to earn my salvation. But one day at Burt Pond over at the University of Mary Harden Baylor, I sought the Lord on my knees. And in that moment, he immediately answered me, sending me two brothers to comfort me. And it was in that moment I put my full faith and trust in Jesus, and I'm excited to follow him in obedience and be baptized. Hi, I'm Olivia Morrow. I'm in third grade, and at the dinner table, I was with my family. I was asking questions about baptism, and I asked to get baptized, and so I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, and I'm excited to be baptized because I've always wanted to be. My name is Caleb Stewart. I am 19 and I attend the STARS Sunday School class. I accepted Jesus as my Savior about three years ago after talking with my mom and dad. I want to learn more about Jesus so I can follow him. I am excited to get baptized. My name is Brandy Priest. I was brought back to the Lord and saved July of last year and I'm really looking forward to this baptism because I think it's going to bring all of the pieces of the puzzle back together again and and I just can't wait to start my new life as a new Christian and, and everything so I just I'm excited very much so. Hi my name is Waylon Griffin I'm 35 years old and I'm a soldier in the U.S. Army. I was saved at a very early age but I never followed in obedience to Christ to be baptized. I'm really excited to be baptized today and I hope that this experience causes someone in the congregation to ask questions and come to know the Lord just as I do. Hi, my name is Billy Geraci. Me and my wife just moved here this past summer. I'm the band director at Rogers ISD and also I've been a church orchestra musician for a little over a decade. Growing up, I've always had a belief in Christ but just never had the 
discipline and consistency in my pursuit of my faith. And uh, about a year ago, uh, my life circumstances led me to a lot of change and there's just a lot of uncertainty. And uh, one Sunday, one of the songs just said, I've got a lot of joy and chaos and peace that makes no sense. And it just, it gave me an overwhelming feeling that it was in God's hands and um, it's led me to where I am now. I'm excited to be baptized today and to pursue my obedience to Christ. My name is Brody and I'm 18 years old. In my life before Christ, I felt lost, hopeless, and my life was just unfulfilling. But I'm excited to get baptized because I'm just ready to make a public commitment of my faith and just put my trust fully in Jesus. Hi, my name is Daniel. I'm about to be 10 in March and I'm in fourth grade. Life before Jesus was when I did not know about Christ and I used to think I was God and I deserved worship. But now as a Christian, I know that we only have one God and that is Jesus Christ. How I met Jesus was when I was in a tough time and my mom told and showed me the way of Christ. Life with Jesus is amazing because I know that we only have one true God and that is Jesus and I know that he will keep me safe. church. Uh, welcome to First Baptist Church, and we're excited you're here. We get to celebrate baptism this morning, uh, and I'm here with my friend Billy. My name's Mike, one of the pastors on our team, and uh, just a beautiful picture, the symbol that baptism is of dying to your old self and coming out of the water alive in Christ with your new life with him. And we get to celebrate that with so many this morning, and I encourage you to celebrate that loudly as each one gets baptized this morning. So Billy, one question for you. Have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And upon that profession of faith, it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in new life. This morning we have Ms. Brandy coming. Brandy, same question. Have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And upon your profession of faith, it's my privilege to get to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. <laughs> This is Olivia. Olivia is my youngest daughter. Uh, Olivia, have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. And upon, upon your profession of faith, it's my privilege to get to baptize you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit is the likeness of the death, and raised to walk in newness of life.
Good morning, church. My name is Jeremy. Uh, I have the honor and privilege to serve as a minister to students um, here at First Baptist Belton, and I get to baptize two incredible guys. The first one is Bryson. Bryson, come on here, buddy. How you feeling, buddy? Good. Feeling good? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I got a question for you. Has there been a time in your life when you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Yes. Yeah, I like that emphatic answer. All right. Well, upon that profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Next individual is uh, Brody Reed. Brody, come on here, buddy. All right. Brody, I had a question for you. Is there a time in your life when you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Yes, sir. All right. Well, upon that profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in a new life. church family. My name is Stanton. I'm the college pastor here at First Baptist Church Belton. I have the pleasure today of introducing you to Daniel. Daniel, do you, who do you confess to be Lord of your life? Jesus. And do you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the grave? Yes. Then so shall you be. It's my pleasure to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in unison. family. This is Nate Sizemore. Nate, who do you confess to be Lord of your life? Jesus Christ. And do you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? I do. And so shall you be, my brother. It's my pleasure to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Caleb Stewart's made a profession of faith, and he wants to be baptized. I mean, I'm excited to baptize you, brother. Mm-hmm. Caleb, who do you confess to be Lord of your life? Jesus. And do you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? Yes. And so shall you be, my brother. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. Church family, this is Waylon Griffin. It's been a pleasure to get to know you. Waylon, who do you profess and confess to be Lord of your life? Jesus Christ. And you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? I do. And so shall you be, my brother. It's my honor and privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Would you pray with me? And God, thank you for this picture that we have. That you came and were crucified and were buried and, and were resurrected. And because of your resurrection, we also can have new life in you, Jesus. As we continue in worship and listen to the preaching and teaching of your word, Lord, I pray that you would just remind us and even for those who may not know you yet, who may not make this confession and profession, I pray that you would move in their hearts, that you would convict their hearts, God, that they too may be raised to new life. Thank you, Lord, for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. What a great way to start. Y'all stand together. Let's worship.
church, you can have a seat as we continue. We want to welcome you to First Baptist Belton. If you are a guest here, we want to invite you to look inside your pew. In fact, everybody, would you take a look inside that pew rack in front of you? We have a brand new looking welcome card. Can y'all just pull it out and take a look at that? It has a little bit more information on it, but you still have that QR code that you can scan to look at. And so look inside there. There's some information that takes you to our e-bulletin and other ways that you can find out some information about First Baptist Belton. If you are a first-time guest, we want to invite you to take that card, scan it, and there's a little thing called Connect, and you can click on that and fill out your information. That gives us an opportunity to get to know you and how we can better minister to you and serve you and also gives you a chance to ask some questions about who we are and what First Baptist Belton is all about. But we are so glad that you're here today. It's a special day because we have gathered to worship. And that is why it's a special day. So we're grateful to come as a church body and do this. And I want to invite you right now to stand up together and realize that we're a church community and turn to the left and the right and welcome somebody today and say, hello, I'm glad you're here. Church, as we continue in our time of worship, I want to invite you to turn your attention to the screen, and we're going to recite a scripture passage together as a church body. This is Psalm 63, verses 1 through 4, and I want you to say this with me. Let's say it together. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. In a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. Let's continue in our time of worship. to those who run to him who place their hope and confidence in Jesus he won't forsake them and blessed are those who seek his face who bend their knee and fix their gaze on Jesus they won't be shaken come on and praise
sing this out. If you curse me, then I'll bless you. If you hurt me, I will forgive. And if you hate me, then I love you. I choose the Jesus way. If you're
Philippians 2 says this, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God Father.
All right, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Everybody doing okay? All right, good. Good to be with you. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. I hope you have a Bible. If you do, go ahead and grab it. Turn to 1 Corinthians. That's where we're going to be as we continue our study called Messy Church. The reason why is because the church is people. And uh, if you haven't realized this or not yet, people are pretty messy. And if the church is people, then that means that there's a messy church. And so God, via his son Jesus, sent him to this earth to redeem a messy people and to redeem them and transform them into the image of his son. And so as we say yes to him, we unite together. And through that, God begins to take something that's messy and make something very beautiful out of it. And that's really the gospel message. And that's why Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He's helping them see how God transforms a messy church and makes a beautiful, beautiful witness in their community. And I think he'll do the same with us as we continue to grow in the image of Jesus, both individually and then collectively as well. So question for you this morning. If I were to say the word leadership, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Probably many different things, right? I think if we were to take a kind of a landscape view of leadership in our country, I think news headlines are filled with corruption, abuse, moral failure, and cover-ups. Sadly, even the church is not immune to this. Very sadly, even the church is not immune to this. Even in our own backyard with the Southern Baptist Convention, right, there are being pastors who are being called to the carpet for their abuse or their covering up of abuse. It's enough to make you sick. There is an insidious problem in our country when it comes to leadership where we will elevate power and influence and gifting over character and that is a failure every single time. And the church is not excluded from this reality. The result of this is that generations are becoming more disillusioned to institutions and distrusting of leadership and that includes the church. Even today, there are many people who bring their distorted view of, of, of leadership because of the world and because of the things that are happening in the world. And then they place that lens over to the church and they think, well, how in the world can we trust people to lead God's church? And everything in my gut just says, rightly so. I mean, how... I mean, how can I expect you to trust me? How can Paul expect the Corinthians to trust them? They too had their fair share of struggles with leadership, right? Even them, they're elevating man over God and they're elevating his wisdom or man's wisdom over God's wisdom. And they've got this distorted kind of view of, of leadership. They're living under Roman rule, and which is very autocratic and, and, and kind of a distorted view of, of leadership. And so they take that lens that they see in culture and they place it on the church. And what Paul's going to do this morning is he's going to make a defense for leadership in the church. And he's going to help us see that that. Leadership is actually God's design. Authority is actually a good thing and it's actually a benefit to the church. <laughs> that when functioning rightly, when, when leadership is healthy, 
it actually helps the church flourish, to grow up and to thrive. And so what we can't do this morning is we can't let the abuse of some, we can't allow the abuse of some to distort a good thing that is God's good design for his church and for our flourishing and for our benefit this morning. And so that's what Paul's going to do in our text this morning in chapter 4, is he's going to make a defense for healthy church leadership, how we are to regard church leadership, why does it matter? And I think what's going to happen on the other end of chapter 4 is that you're going to have a beautiful picture of what church leadership should look like. And I think for even the most... um, cautious person in the room when it comes to leadership. I think even for you, I think, I hope, my prayer been all week has been that even you will go, you know what, this is something that I can submit my life to and that I can trust and, and, it, and it's for my good. Okay, so let's begin in chapter four. There's five things that I want you to see this morning. And I want you to hear me very clearly because this is very important. It has a lot of application for you. So five things Paul writes in verse 1. Here's what he says. He says, this is how one should regard us, right? So this is how the person in the pew ought to regard their leaders. Paul is speaking of himself and of Apollos, right? This is how you should regard us. And here's what he says. He answers that question. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul wants us to see first and foremost that he is not to be elevated above God because he is a servant of Christ. Paul says, no, 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 (laughs) do not elevate me, do not elevate Apollos. I am merely a servant that, that is being used for your good and for your sake. Church leadership are nothing more than servants of Christ. Now, Paul does something really interesting here. He, he uses a unique word. Anytime Paul uses the word servant in the New Testament, almost always it's the word doulos. It's the Greek word that simply means servant. But here, Paul uses a different word. He uses the word huperades. Huperades, a fancy word, and here's what it means. Under rower. Paul says that I am an under rower of Christ. You get the picture of a rowing team. Maybe you've seen the recently released movie, The Boys in the Boat. I read the book. I haven't seen the movie yet. Um, But but that's a cool picture of what Paul is is helping us see here, right? That in every boat you have a coxswain who's the captain of the boat and he sits in the back of the boat and he's looking forward above the heads of all of the people who are rowing, right? And his job is to keep the beat. His job is to direct and to guide the the team that's rowing. And then the team of rowers is, their job is to keep their eyes on the coxswain, their captain, to keep the beat, to keep the unity, right? To keep everything moving in the direction of the captain. In the same way, Paul is saying that church leaders are the rowers. They're the people who are keeping their eyes on Christ. He's the captain. He's the final authority. We're keeping our eyes on him. We're rowing to his beat. We're leading, we're listening for his direction and his guidance. We're looking to him to keep us straight and to move us across the finish line. Jesus says it well. He says that a servant is not greater than his master. 
a healthy church leader recognizes that Jesus is the master and the owner of his church. And therefore, the pastor or the elder or the deacon or the Sunday school teacher or any other person in leadership recognizes their rightful place is a servant. It's an under rower in the boat. That's the beautiful part of leadership that they are servants. They are mere people who God uses for the edification and the building up of his church. Paul says that a leader is a servant first who is under the final authority of Jesus who seeks to accomplish his will, not their own. Far too many leaders in our day and age think that their agenda is more important than Jesus' agenda. And let me tell you, that will fail every single time. When the servant becomes greater than their master, when their authority or their ideas or where their wisdom becomes elevated over the master's ideas, the master's authority, and the master's agenda. It fails every single time, and we see it over and over and over in the media. And the media is looking for opportunities to spotlight and shadow the failures of people in the church. Which is all the more reason why leaders need to recognize that our role is not to not to champion our agenda, but to serve Christ in his agenda, in his church. There should never be a question as to who's the boss of the church. Jesus is the boss. The role of the shepherd then is to get behind the boss, to submit to his leadership and to serve his agenda in his alone. And so Paul says that leaders, he is merely a servant in the church. Church leadership are servants of Christ, but also Paul says that they are stewards. If you keep reading in verse 1, he says that that, that this is how you regard us, that we are servants of Christ and we are stewards of the mysteries of God. The word steward comes from the idea of house manager. You know, maybe you've watched the recent TV show, uh, Downton Abbey. Anybody watch that? Mr. Carson is a great picture of what Paul is referring to here. Mr. Carson's role as the house manager, as the steward of the house, is to manage the affairs of the house. He's to manage the affairs of the house. It's a great responsibility because uh, implied in the idea of being a steward is that you are managing something that is not your own. So a church leader is not only a servant of Christ, but they are also a steward of what belongs to Christ. I want you to think about that. Think about the weight and the pressure that comes with being a steward. God in Christ calls pastors and church leaders to shepherd and steward his church that he calls his bride. Now think about that, men in the room. I want you to picture the idea of, of handing your bride over to another person and saying, hey, I want you to steward my treasure. The weight that I have to sit under is that God has called me to love 
to care and to protect his bride. Think about the weight of that. So every decision, every thought, every prayer goes through the lens of of the fact that God's called me, has called our leadership to love, to care, and to protect his bride. That means that not a single decision, not a single thought is ever just, oh, you know, I think this is a good idea. It comes with great care, it comes with great love and intentionality because I know the weight of which God has called me and our leadership to lead. It's to love and to care and to protect his bride, his treasured possession. I think about it even in our own home, right? When I think about a steward, I think about managing something that's not my own. And I think in my home, God has graciously given me a best friend and a partner in life. He has given me my own bride. And yet I'm consciously aware that she is not mine. She does not belong to me. She is his. She belongs to him. She is his daughter. So when I sin against her, I'm sinning against God. And in the same way, God has seen fit to graciously give me two awesome kids that I love so much. And there's everything in me that wants to feel like they're mine, but really they're not mine. They're God's to steward for his glory. So when we're parenting, what we're doing is we're stewarding God's children for his glory. You see, the weight of life and leadership, by the way, if you're thinking in this room that you're not a leader, then you would be wrong. God has called every one of us to be a leader. A leader at its most basic definition is someone who has influence over another. Moms, dads, brothers, sisters, everybody in the room has some level of influence over someone. And God has called you to steward that influence well. He's called church leaders to steward that which is not his. And the best way to do that is to submit to Christ under his authority to be an under rower. And so the two work together. For me to be a good steward means I have to be able to submit my life and my leadership and my authority to his final authority. And from that, I become a steward. Now, another thing that stewardship brings is the idea of accountability. That's what Paul talks about in verses 2 through 7 is this picture of accountability. If you are managing something that is not your own, if somebody has given you a treasured possession, you bet that there is a day of reckoning where the person who owns what he has handed over to you to steward will show up and give an account and expect you to give an account. That's what Paul's talking about in verses 2 through 7. Look there with me. He says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then, Paul says, each one will receive his commendation from God. 
Paul says, I've applied all of these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? To be a steward, Paul says, is to be accountable. In this passage, in verses 2 through 7, he reminds the church of the aim of accountability. In verse 2, he says that stewards are to be found faithful. So if you're a servant of Christ and then you're a steward of his treasured possession, the church, then he says that there's a day in which you will have to give an account. And on that day of accounting, that day of judgment, you are to be found faithful. Paul even says that it's a requirement. Paul says it is required for a steward to be found faithful. That doesn't sound like a suggestion. That doesn't sound like an idea. That sounds like a command. The church leaders are to be servants of Christ. They're to be stewards, but not only stewards, but they are required to be faithful with what God has given to them and entrusted to them, recognizing that what they have in their hands and under their influence is not theirs, but rather it's God's. To be faithful means to be reliable, stable, and steadfast. And so there's a day where the question of were you faithful to love, care, and to protect those in your care as a daunting day. But Paul also says, or mentions the who of judgment. In this moment of judgment, he tells the Corinthians that, that they're not to judge or not to be the judge and executioner of the church leadership, but rather they are to leave the judging up to the Lord. He says the reason why. It's because there's a day coming when the thoughts of the heart and the motivations of the heart that God is going to Bring those to light. God knows the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, right? God knows all of the things that nobody else knows. He knows what it's like to sit in the seat of leadership. He understands all of those things. And he says that for those who do not know the entire story, who do not understand the, the, the part that is to play in the seat of leadership. He says it's, it's not your role to judge, but rather it is God's role to judge because he knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Paul even says, I can't even judge myself because even I don't know my wicked thoughts and motivations behind the things that I do. Now, I think it's important to say that it's not to say that, that God can't use people in the pew to bring to light wickedness and darkness and abuse in the church. That is certainly true. But there's a difference between accountability and judgment. I can hold somebody accountable without actually casting judgment on them. I can come to a brother and a sister in love and say, Brother, I see something in your life that is unbefitting of a Christian. That is unbefitting of a Christian leader. And that's right and good. What Paul is saying is that it is not our place to cast judgment judgment over them, to be the judge and the jury and the executioner over them, right? And then Paul continues. Paul says that as servants and stewards of his treasure, healthy pastoral leadership not only is a servant, but is also accountable. It chooses accountability. 
In verse 6, he says, All of these things I have applied to myself and to Apollos for your benefit. So what Paul is saying here is that I cannot show up and lead you. I cannot write to you. I cannot teach you unless I have already preached and taught the things that I'm going to share to you to myself. It's that old adage, right? Practicing what you preach. Paul says that a healthy leader practices what he preaches. Church leadership ought to practice what they preach. Sadly, we live in a day and age where, you know, leaders oftentimes think that they are above what they are preaching. And Paul says that should never be. There should never be a day where a pastor gets up in the pulpit where a teacher stands behind a podium in a Sunday school classroom or elders gather into a room to lead and shepherd a congregation that they have not yet applied the words of Jesus, the words of Scripture to their life and so that they are leading from a place of submission to His authority over their own. This platform is not an opportunity for me to weld my power or influence over you, but to point you to the final authority who is Jesus. And when leaders use their power and their influence over the church to shepherd and to motivate and to lead you to worldly things, there is a day of reckoning for them. There's a day of reckoning where Jesus will say, what did I do with what I, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you love, care, and protect my treasured bride? And yet, so many leaders have forgotten the truth of what Paul is writing here. That that is not a theory, but it is true and it is real and so all the more leads us to the responsibility that Paul says that church leaders have. And the weight that they carry, which leads us to point number four. Point number four is that church leaders, that there is inevitably a suffering and there is a cost that comes with being a church leader. There's a cost that comes with any type of leadership, but there is a unique cost that comes with church leadership. Point number four is that a healthy leader is going to embrace and accept that. And I will tell you, heart to heart, person to person, friend to friend, brother to brother, sister to brother, two years ago, I was not ready for this. Two years ago, I had no clue of the cost that would come from spiritual leadership. I walked into it thinking, hey, you know what, the Lord's called me to this, this is going to be great, we can do it, we're going to do it together, and you know what, we did. But I had no idea of the true cost of leadership. There is a level of suffering that you see all throughout the Bible for a shepherd and their sheep. Right, there's this kind of theme that you see where, where, where the leader suffers for the good and the flourishing over the sheep. Jesus, of course, is the is the consummate example, right? He comes to the earth, he gives his life, so a people who spit and hate him will flourish. That's the picture of the shepherd and the sheep, and that's what Paul 
mentions here in verses 8 through 13. He says, already you have what you want. Already you've become rich. Without us you have, been ki- you have become kings. And would that you did reign, that we might share in the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the, apost- or to the world, to angels and to men. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We become we have become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul, of course, is speaking to his particular case that he, is, he, he has been shipwrecked. He has been snake bitten. He has been drugged out of communities, beaten to the point where they thought he was dead. All for the preaching of the gospel so that people may come to know him. They may come to know Jesus and that they would find flourishing and health and healing in the redemptive name of Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about here. But again, he's painting this picture of what it means to be a church leader, that there is a level of acceptance that every church leader has to have in an embracing of some of the suffering that's going to come with being a leader, but also being a spiritual leader. Believe me, there is an enemy who does not want us to succeed. There's an enemy behind everything that we do that is trying to still kill and destroy any good thing in the church. And the best place for him to start is with your leadership. You know, there's a secular guy, he, um, a secular leader, he's a football coach actually. And, and, and a couple months ago I, I saw a video of him and he, he posted the, co- he, he was talking at a conference and he was mentioning the cost of leadership. And it was the first time I've ever heard it and I thought, oh man, he is right on. And he mentions three things. I'm going to add a fourth to what he said. But here, here's, here's what he said. He goes, every leader has to embrace the cost of leadership. Number one, he says that leaders will have to make hard decisions that either, or back up, leaders will have to make hard decisions that will negatively affect the people that they care about. Church leaders will have to make hard decisions that negatively affect people that they love and that they care about, or that appear to negatively hurt or affect the people that they care about. Number two, you will be disliked despite your best attempts to do the best for the most. You will be disliked despite your best attempts to do the best for the most. Number three, you will be misunderstood and will rarely have the opportunity to defend yourself before the masses. You will be misunderstood and will rarely have the opportunity to defend yourself before the masses. And then I'll add the fourth one. In spite of all of that, you will have to continue to lead those who can talk negatively about you or cancel you with little to no accountability. You will have to continue to lead and shepherd those who negatively talk about you or cancel you with little to no accountability. 
but notice when he calls people to leadership and he calls them servants of Christ and he calls them stewards and he gives the aim and what is required of a steward to be found faithful, he doesn't say when it's easy or when it's convenient or when everybody likes you or when everybody agrees with you or when everybody thinks that this is a good thing. He says that a leader's requirement is to be found faithful, to follow what Christ has led them to do, even when it's unpopular, even when you're going to be misunderstood, even when you're going to be disliked, and even when you have to see people in public and you know that they're talking negatively about you and you are still required by the law of the Lord to be a steward, to be found faithful and to love, care and to protect people who are ugly and who are nasty. The role of a shepherd is to defend sheep who are wayward, who talk badly, who don't like you, who don't respect you. And yet, Jesus gives us the model as he hangs on the cross and he says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. It's a powerful picture of leadership where Jesus goes to a Roman cross for a people who just moments before, just days before were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And then days later are yelling, crucify him. It's the same people in the same community. And yet he still freely gives his life for them. See, a shepherd is one who gives their life for the good of his people. Not the abuse of his people. It's the picture that Paul paints. And he says then too that a shepherd leader is motivated by a spirit of love and gentleness. That's the fourth point that I want you to see. And you're going to see it in the text. That Paul's motivation for what he says to the Corinthians is not to shame them. It's not to be harsh with them or to be mean to them. But it's motivated from a spirit of love and gentleness. Paul says in verse 14, he says, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you, notice this, as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have any fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So I urge you then to be imitators of me. That is why I sent to you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, so to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. He says, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And then Paul says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Paul's writing to the Corinthians is coming from a heart of love and gentleness as, their, as his beloved child, as his beloved children. So as a good father comes to his children who have, been, have found themselves wayward and he calls them to himself and he whispers gently out of love and he admonishes them clearly to step back onto the 
path of righteousness, so too is Paul coming to his beloved people, those in whom he has adopted into his family, so to speak, and saying, listen, I admonish you not because I want you to be shamed, not because I want to upset you, but because I love you and I want to see God's best in you. It's, it's Paul's heart. It's Paul's heart here. Now, I think if we were honest and, and, and we were looking at this picture of what church leadership looks like, I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but all week as I've been reading and praying and thinking, I'm like, Lord, this is a picture of church leadership that I want to follow this is the picture of church leadership that I want to submit to. This is the picture of church leadership that I think is worthy of my trust. And shame on us if it's anything less than the characteristics that have been mentioned here. Shame on the church for us being complacent and allowing anything but this to be evident in our churches. This is a beautiful picture of one who is a servant of Christ, whose leaders are servants of Christ, first and foremost, that are working for his agenda, that are stewards of God's treasured possession, his very own bride, who love, care, and protect her, even when people won't understand why you have to do what you have to do. It's a beautiful picture of leadership being accountable for the responsibility that has been given to them. It's a beautiful picture of them practicing what they preach so that they are never above their master, but they always recognize who their master is. That they don't read their paper clippings and get a big head thinking that there's something when they are nothing, Paul says. What then is Apollos? What then is a Paul? We are nothing but mere stewards of God's grace working through us to bless God's people. It's a beautiful picture of leaders who lead from a place of love and kindness and gentleness to his people. And that's a picture of church leadership. That's the God's good design for church leaders. And, and, in, and I know that in a room this big, there is no doubt in my mind that there are people in this room who have, who have been a victim of some level of abuse in leadership. There's no way that there's not anybody in here who has not experienced that. I would also venture to say that there's probably a good chance that there's somebody in here who has, has experienced some level of abuse from a church leader and their power and their influence. And so I want you to hear me say this very clearly. I am so incredibly sorry. And you need to hear me say that that is not God's design. That is not God's design. God's design is a beautiful picture of leadership that that submits themselves to Christ and serves the people for their flourishing and for their good, not for their harm. And there is a day coming where that person will experience the judgment of the Lord. That that, that level of wielding their influence given to them by the Lord, it will be required of them. And so I want you to hear me say that if you've experienced that, I'm, I'm going to be here right after the service. I would love to pray for you. I would love to hear from you. Um, I, I would love to just listen to you and encourage you. I know our, our team at Connection Central would love to do the same. I'm going to have a few of my church leaders, some of my DLT guys. If y'all would stay down here and just be willing to receive people 
um, I want us to be a church where we don't put up with that nonsense, but where this is the expectation. Right, like this picture that Paul paints, this is the expectation. This is not the idea. This is not the ideal. This is the expectation that I have for my life, that we have for our leaders, for our staff, for our elders and deacons. This is the expectation. This is the challenge and this is the call for us. You with me? Awesome. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you for his grace and his kindness and his goodness to us. Lord, thank you that while there is so much abuse in the world and while we live in this broken, messy, fragmented world and even when it comes to the church, Lord, help us to see clearly your good design for us. God, your good design is that you have given us leaders to love, to care, and to protect us. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to submit to that leadership and yet at the same time hold that, hold that picture as the expectation. God, I pray for anybody in the room who has experienced a, some level of abuse. Lord, I pray that you would meet with them this morning. I pray that, that you would help them to find healing in the power of the gospel God, I pray that you would help them, if they haven't already done so, to take the next step to, to, to go and to, to seek counseling and to seek help. Healthy people seek out help. God, help them to do that. God, be near to them. Help them to see your good design, that, that we shouldn't take a distorted view of abuse and lay it over on the church or your design. God, I pray that we would, we would be able to do that. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for our leadership. Thank you for the godly men and women who serve so faithfully in this church. God, may we be found faithful with what you've called us to shepherd and to care for. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Church family, I want to invite you to stand together with us and respond. And you don't even have to wait till the end of the service. If you need to respond to that invitation that Pastor Logan just sent right now, you're invited to come up here to the front. Some of our DLT guys can come and be ready for you guys. Let's sing this out. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes to the hillside where justice and mercy
May Jesus always be the one who we look to, we submit to, and we follow. Not a man, but solely him, him alone, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, if you've never begun a relationship with him, I'd love to talk with you about how you can do that and how you can experience the transformation uh, that, that he promises, right, from death to life. And I would love to, to walk you through how you can begin that relationship. If you've been hurt and you need prayer, if you need somebody to listen to you, I'm available to listen to you. I'd love to do so. Um, you know, again, may Jesus just be ever more in front of where we're going and what we're doing. That's my prayer for our church. That's my prayer for your life. That's my prayer for your home and your workplace. May Jesus be the center of all that you do this week and on into the future for your life. God bless you. I hope to see you guys next week. God bless you.